0: Well, hi everyone. Uh, My name is Wayne. I'm one of the pastors here at WS and uh, we're really glad that you are able to join us for a Good Friday service today. Um, This weekend is a special weekend for us as Christians uh, because Good Friday and Easter Sunday really are the foundation. Um, They are the capstone of what we believe as God's people, as Christians. Um, It's really the core of who we are as his people. Uh, The past few months have um, been difficult uh, for us as a church, Um, but not only for us as a church, but for the entire world. There is intense fear, intense despair about the virus, and we're confronted with what it seems like bad news almost every minute on the news, on newspapers, um, on social media. But as Christians, uh, this weekend is a reminder for us it's a reminder that there is actually great news and that there's actually great hope that can be found in Jesus even today. Uh, so why don't we pray before we begin? Father, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you that uh, amidst all that is going on in our world, we can come and rest in Christ. And Father, today, as we look at one of perhaps the darkest times of Jesus' life, Uh, May we be encouraged. Uh, May we be reminded that we can find hope. And may we uh, be confident as God's people as we look forward to the future. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we uh, look at today's text, uh, we're going to focus on three things. Uh, First, we're going to focus on the betrayal of Jesus, second, we're going to focus on the abandonment of Jesus. And finally, we're going to focus on the faithfulness of Jesus. So first, let's look at the betrayal of Jesus. Uh, today's passage in the Gospel of Mark begins with a betrayal. If you remember Jesus, he had just finished his last supper with his disciples, and he takes three of his closest disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray together. And he spends his final hours praying to his heavenly Father. And just as he's finishing his time in the prayer, uh, Mark tells us this. He says, just as he, uh, meaning Jesus, just as Jesus was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Mark tells us that Judas, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, he comes with an armed crowd, ready to arrest Jesus. Judas here, he's intentionally referred to uh, in this chapter as one of the 12, uh, meeting one of the 12 disciples, one of 12 of Jesus' most trusted friends, one of those in Jesus' inner circle. And it was really an indicator of how close Jesus, Judas was to Jesus. And this phrase is something that we see over and over uh, in this chapter of Mark. In verse 10, it says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And then again in verse 20, when Jesus is predicting which disciple will betray him, It says, it is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. Mark here, he's highlighting the fact that Judas, one of the twelve, one of Jesus' closest companions and friends, is going to be the one who will betray him in the end. Earlier in our chapter, we're, uh, we're told how this all began. Uh, It says in verse 10, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. These chief priests and elders uh, were the religious leaders of Jesus' time. And they wanted Jesus dead. To them, Jesus was a troublemaker. Someone who hung around the wrong crowd. Someone who disrupted their religious rituals and system. Someone who said blasphemous things. And they wanted him dead. But these leaders knew if they arrested Jesus in public, everyone is going to start to revolt and start a riot. And so the only way for them to find an opportunity to arrest Jesus privately And in secret, was if they had a mole. So so Judas, one of the 12, was really one of the few people who knew where Jesus was every hour of the day. He was exactly who they needed. Mark goes on and he tells us that this betrayal would be signaled by a kiss verse 44 says, "Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard." It was at night in the garden, it was dark, and there needed to be this sign to distinguish Jesus among the other people who was there. And that sign was going to be a kiss. In some of our cultures, uh, a kiss might sound strange between two men, wouldn't it? But in a kiss, in their culture was a common way of greeting a close friend or maybe a family member. And so Mark tells us, going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And then the men seized Jesus and arrested him. You know, if we think about that idea of a backstabber, and uh, I think most of us have heard that term, if you think about it, to be a backstabber, you actually have to be so close to somebody that you can actually stab them in the back. But not only that, you also have to have a level of trust so that they would turn their back towards you, their most unprotected region to be stabbed. And that's true of betrayal. That's exactly what betrayal is. The thing about betrayal is ultimately choosing something better than what that person has to offer. Whenever there's betrayal involved, there's something better than what that person you're betraying has to offer. And for Judas, it was silver that was better to him than Jesus himself. Says in the Bible that Jesus, Judas sells out Jesus for thirty pieces of silver, which actually from the Old Testament in Exodus 21, um, thirty pieces of silver was the common price of a slave. Silver meant to Jesus Judas more than the friendship of G- Jesus. The story goes on and it actually gets even darker than this. So secondly. Let's look at the abandonment of Jesus. The abandonment of Jesus. One of the saddest verses of the Bible, I think, is verse 50. In Jesus' greatest hour of need, Mark says, Then everyone deserted him and fled. Mark says everyone. Not just Judas, his betrayer, but everyone. Every single one of them left. Every single one of them who had faithfully followed Jesus for three years, people who ate with him, who walked with him, who witnessed his miracles, heard his miraculous teaching, Mark says they all left. What happened? How did it get to this point? Well, interestingly, Mark, in this chapter, he uses uh, a small word. He uses the word all to show us how this happened. And it started with a warning just hours earlier. Um, As they were eating their last supper, um, Jesus warned his disciples, and he said this, You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus here, he's quoting an Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah, saying that every single one of you is going to abandon me. But rather than heeding these warnings, the disciples deny it. Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. And Jesus goes on and warns him again Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Today, yes, tonight. Before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. And it goes on and tells us, but Peter insisted emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then Mark tells us, he says, And all the others said the same. And all the others said the same. Peter and the disciples didn't realize they had this potential to abandon Jesus. They couldn't imagine themselves committing this act of betrayal. And they said, even if I have to die with you, I will not leave you. But we find out that when it came down to it, Mark says, then everyone deserted him and fled. The ESV translates it this way. It says, "Then And they all left him and fled, which is a closer translation. Because in the original, it literally says, And they left him and fled, all. All of them, with emphasis on all. Every single one of them abandoned and deserted Jesus. Every single one of them who declared their allegiance to the point of death, they said, Jesus, even if I had to die, I would not betray you. Every single one of them abandoned him. Everyone left. They left him and fled, all of them. Well, at the end of our passage, uh, there's this really strange scene. And I don't know if you've picked it up um, when you're listening to the Bible reading. Uh, But in verse 51, it says this. It says, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Uh, If you think about it, this is a very strange scene because really right after one of the most intense one of the most disturbing scenes in the bible where jesus is betrayed by his friends where he's abandoned by everyone else and left alone there's suddenly this uh, strange random naked man in the story and we might be thinking why why is this here why is he here And I think the reason he's here is really to highlight the utter abandonment of Jesus' followers. In the midst of Jesus' greatest time of struggle, in the midst of his greatest time of need, everybody, all of them, even this unknown man, abandons Jesus, and he is left, left with absolutely no one. There's a lot of theories about who this man is. Uh, Some scholars uh, in their commentaries think that it's actually Mark inserting himself in the story. But actually the text doesn't really tell us and we don't really know. However, I think the point is clear. This unnamed man, he would rather run away from Jesus in public in the middle of the night without any clothes completely naked rather t- to be found with Jesus everyone including this man abandons him and let's think about that for a minute think about the people who are abandoning Jesus you know these weren't just distant followers they're Jesus's closest friends the 12 the ones who have been with Jesus for the past three years. Every day they have been with Jesus. They were the most loyal, the most committed disciples. And out of everyone that had contact with Jesus, these were the most loyal and the most committed. And yet they all fall away. Every single one of them. They all abandon Jesus. And what you and I should get out of this is this. So would you, and so would I. And you might think, no, no, there's no way. No, I wouldn't. There's no way. If I were in this story, I would be that guy who stays with Jesus till the very end. But no, you wouldn't. And no, I wouldn't. And that's what we're supposed to see. We are no different from the disciples. And I think this is really an accurate portrayal of us today, isn't it? Have any of us had a wonderful experience on Sunday morning at church? And then Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening rolls around and we just forget about God. We live in our own selfishness. Have you experienced that? I have. Or have any of you said, I'm never going to do this thing again? I'm never going to give in to that sin, get angry at that person, tell that lie. And before we know it, we're doing that thing that we thought we would never do. Have we ever been ashamed of Jesus, ever tried to hide the fact that we're a Christian when the stakes are high? I think we all have. Just like the disciples in this story, uh, we are weak. Our faith can sometimes be so weak. Our commitment to him can be so weak. And our devotion to him can be so frail. And the lesson is this. If our relationship, if our entire relationship with Jesus is based on our devotion to him, my commitment to him, my fervency my strength my will if our entire relationship is based on that we are going to fail you and i do not have what it takes to be to stay committed to jesus because we are weak we are sinful just like these disciples but thankfully the weakness of the disciples is not the only thing that we see in the story Because the centerpiece, the main point of the story, is about how strong, how faithful, how committed, how loving, how loyal Jesus is to the will of his Father for the sake of the people who betrayed and abandoned him. So finally, let's look at the faithfulness of Jesus. What was Jesus faithful to? Jesus was faithful to his mission, which was was to bring bring peace between us and God. Mark tells us in the passage, against those who have come to arrest him, armed with swords and clubs, uh, Jesus says in verse 48, Am I leading a rebellion to Jesus that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Uh, These people had a misunderstanding of Jesus. And his mission. They thought Jesus' mission on earth was to come and conquer the Roman Empire and to restore the mighty nation of Israel to its former glory. But Jesus says there was no need to come with all these swords and clubs. Mark goes on in verse 49, and Jesus says, Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts. And you do not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. What scriptures are he talking about? What is on Jesus' mind? I believe Jesus is alluding to what he said earlier in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark 8, it says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. In Mark 9, um, it says this, Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? Jesus' mission on earth was to fulfill the scriptures, to fulfill God's plan for this world. And the plan was for the Son of Man, for Jesus, to be betrayed, to be abandoned, to be mocked, and to be crucified. Why? Because it will be through the suffering that Jesus will ultimately bring peace between us and God. The Bible tells us that because of our sin, each one of us were enemies of God. And because of the sin that we have in our hearts, and it's in every single one of us, we deserve the unhindered wrath of God. But Jesus has come to fulfill God's mission and purpose for him, to deal with the problem of sin and to bring peace with God. And the way Jesus does so is by dying for us on the cross. Uh, In the book of Isaiah, uh, which was read for us earlier, it says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Uh, Through Jesus' death on the cross, we can have peace with God. You know, I think about everything that is happening in this passage, and there's a lot. Uh, But I think particularly about that kiss, that kiss, that act of betrayal, Judas's kiss. And I think of how ironic that kiss is. That kiss, which usually uh, is a symbol of love, of expression of love and affection, for Jesus it became a curse for him. How ironic that the most loving display of affection became a curse. But I also think about how how ironic it is on Good Friday that the most heinous display of suffering, of torture, that's found on the cross, becomes the greatest act of love. As Jesus, he chooses to die on a Roman cross for us, And the cross in that culture was a symbol of shame. The cross was a place where the most detestable criminals, not just any criminal, but the worst of the worst, were hung and punished. The cross was an intentional way, a systematic, painful way, the most painful way that the Roman government chose to execute someone. And how ironic is it that the cruelest display, the most terrible symbol of shame, becomes a symbol of the greatest display of love ever known. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, he was not only abandoned by all his friends, Mark says that he was also abandoned by his Heavenly Father. Mark 15, it says, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama samukhtani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That moment on the cross as Jesus is taking the sin of this world, taking my sin, taking your sin, he's forsaken by his heavenly Father because of the sin that he carries for us. The wrath of God for the sins of this world was poured on him. The holy, the righteous father who cannot stand and punishes all that sin. And for that moment, Jesus is forsaken by his father. Um, Author and Pastor John Piper, he puts it in these words. He says the judgment was to have God the Father pour out his wrath. And instead of pouring it out on us, he pours it out on him. And that necessarily involves a kind of abandonment. That is what wrath means. He gave him up to suffer the weight of all the sins of his people and the judgment for those sins. And he goes on. And he says, we cannot begin to fathom all that this would mean between the Father and the Son. To be forsaken by God is the cry of the damned, and he was damned for us. There on the cross, Jesus bore the unhindered wrath that we deserve. He was betrayed by man. He was abandoned by man. He was forsaken by God. But it was so that he can bring peace between us and God, between God and the people who betray him and abandon him. This Good Friday, uh, may we see our sins, because it was our sins that hung him on the cross. We are betrayers, we are abandoners, we are sinners. But may we, most importantly, see God's love, that it was his love that kept Jesus on the cross for us. And though we are betrayers and abandoners, may we fix our eyes on Jesus, the faithful one. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, this Good Friday, uh, remember Christ, and we give thanks for him that though he was abandoned, though that he was betrayed, he remained faithful to your will and sacrificed himself for the sake of our sins. And Father, we just give you thanks for this good news, that in light of all the bad news that we hear, and in light of the worst news that we hear that we are sinners, that we have failed you, we thank you that there is a great news, that Christ has come, that he has died for us, for in our place, and because of that, we can be forgiven. So Father, we give you thanks, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.